Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear, and then we talk about it. This is page 435, Hushed Voice. But it turns out she had just left it behind in her rooms. So it was merely misplaced, not really lost. The servants found it two days later when they were cleaning up. Turns out it had rolled underneath a chest of drawers. Denna's expression turned indignant. Can't believe I believed you, she swatted at me, then grimaced again, sucking a sharp breath through her teeth. You know, I said softly, I've been trained at the university. I'm not a physiker, but the medicine I know is good. I could take a look at it for you. She gave me a long look, as if she wasn't quite sure what to make of my offer. I think, she said at last, that might be the most circumspect route anyone has ever tried for getting me out of my clothes. I I felt myself blush furiously. I didn't mean... Denna laughed at my discomfiture. If I let anyone play doctor with me, it would be you, my quoth, she said. But I'll tend to it for now. She linked arms with me, and we continued our walk down the street. I know enough to take care of myself. I returned to the mayor's estate hours later, taking the direct route rather than coming over the rooftops. When I arrived in the hallway leading to my room, I found two guards standing there instead of the single one that had been waiting before. I guessed they had discovered my escape. Even this couldn't dampen my spirits overmuch, as the time I'd spent with Denna had left me feeling 12 feet tall. Better yet, I was meeting with her tomorrow to go riding. Having a specific time and place to meet was an unexpected treat where Denna was concerned. Good evening, gentlemen, I said as I came down the hall. Anything interesting happened while I was out? You're to be confined to your rooms, Jay's said grimly. I noticed he left off the sir this time. I paused with my hand on the doorknob. Beg pardon? You're to remain in your rooms until we get further orders, he said. And one of us is to stay with you at all times. I felt my temper flare up. And does Alvarin know about this? I asked sharply. They looked at each other uncertainly. It was Stapes giving the orders then. That uncertainty would be enough to keep them from laying hands on me. Let's get this sorted out straight away, I said, and started down the hall at a brisk walk, leaving the guards to catch up with me, their armor clattering. And that's the page. My name is Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. This is exciting. Yeah. Denna's hurt really bad. Like, she keeps twinging. It's much worse. And maybe that's part of why she doesn't want Quoth to look at it, because it's probably not just a bruise. It's it's bad. She Like, they've been hanging out for a while, though, and they were walking earlier, and she either wasn't twinging or he didn't notice. That's true. That's totally true, Jordana. And I that might just be because this is when the scene had to start. Um, but I agree that it's it's a little unusual that they've been hanging out for hours and Quoth just noticed this. Well, it's also possible that it got worse over time, right? You know, maybe she was on some painkillers and the painkillers are wearing off. Could be. Uh, they also are doing a bunch of bits, which I do agree, Jeremy, is them trying to diffuse the tension by kind of joking, which is definitely a thing I do after a fight or a tense moment. Mm-hmm. I just thought of something. Okay, so hear me out. A little bit of a crackpot theory. So when they were walking before, she had the braid in, but she only took it out after they sat down, right? Yes. So maybe the reason he didn't notice her twinging had to do with the braid. And then she Ah. took the braid out. And Ah. now when she gets up to walk again, she's twinging the same way she was before, but now he can notice because she's not wearing the braid. When you said Brayden, that was, that's a homophone for Brayden. So I like thought for, I wasn't sure for a minute what you were talking about. Well, braid in. (laughs) Jordana, I think that is a very salient observation 
that might well be the explanation and we might find that out later. And Nick, I also think that it might be salient that Brayden is a homophone for Brayden. Uh, and that, that might also be some deliberate wordplay on Rothfuss's part. We're just, do you think that's the solution? Do you think we should mix up this salient solution and put it directly into our veins? That's right. That's a good joke. I know Jordan is shaking her head and grimacing, but I assure you listeners, that was a really good joke. It was a great joke. <laughs> Tremendous joke. Top 10. Um, I, I also feel like, like, obviously she is trying to get a rise out of him by talking about playing doctor, but I think she's also trying to communicate to him subtly, like, I can take care of myself. Please don't worry about me. Yeah, yeah I think that. it's also like, it almost feels like a a bit of a matter of, of pride. Like the way that she's like, you know what? Like I can take care of myself kind of thing. Like that's a very proud thing to say. Mm-hmm. And it is also the kind of thing that someone who's in, a, in an abusive relationship and isn't prepared to admit that to themselves just yet might say to you. Yes, and I also think that it's the very sexy, if I let anyone play doctor with me, it would be you, Mike Foth, is sort of her way of saying, like, I forgive you, or, you know, we're still friends. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very sexy, very flirty. Obviously, they're not doing anything. And this also might be her teasing him a bit because she might know or might, you know, have correctly intuited that he's still too nervous to to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just like a, a bit of, you know, honest and friendly flirting. And maybe it is an invitation. I don't know. But I do read it as like, this is the end of the scene because this is the signal that the tension has passed. Yeah. Yeah. And everything else they do is just like, like as we learn later on the page, he comes home feeling 12 feet tall. So he's like basically forgotten that they had a fight because the rest of their time together was so much fun. And in this feeling of being 12 feet tall, decided not to take the sneaky route back because he could have taken the sneaky route back got into his room and then left through that door again and they'd be like oh maybe he wasn't gone like that could have happened but no he came through the other way so of course he was out yeah he's yeah. very confident and he absolutely exposes himself like there's no way of like even if they hadn't discovered that he had escaped he would now be exposing himself as having escaped because as far as anyone is concerned even in a best case scenario they all think he's still in his room Mm-hmm. which is uncharacteristically stupid of him, which does make me wonder if maybe at some point, like Denna puts another braid in and does a whammy on him to make him feel. Cause it's also like, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it doesn't totally make sense that he's feeling this good considering that he just had a fight with the girl he's uh, head over heels for. So maybe she puts another braid in and sort of like, you know, calms him down puts him in a better frame of mind and it makes him stupid and overconfident enough to just wander back into his rooms through the front door. I think that Rob yeah. would have told us if she'd put another braid in. I agree. I think that's, an, that's the sort of thing that would be an important clue, but I agree that it also that it, it does seem a little uncharacteristic and a little sudden. And what it reminds me of, um, and this isn't a crackpot theory. It's just like something that I think is an interesting thing that we could talk about. It reminds me of, um, the, Okay, I have bipolar disorder. I have bipolar type 2. And one of the things that it functions on is the medical notion of triggers. And obviously the phrase triggers and trigger warning and whatever has been absolutely misused and misunderstood by the discourse. But medically, what a trigger is in when it refers to a mental health thing, and i particularly talking about how it refers to my bipolar disorder, is it is like a emotional input that causes a medical mood swing. And you can have a trigger that is 
uh, both a positive trigger or a negative trigger. It's very easy to have like depressive triggers, things that cause you to begin like spiraling into cognitive distortion thinking. But you can also have a, po- a trigger that causes a, a manic or a hypomanic episode. And that's kind of what this reminds me of. This reminds me of a hypomanic trigger because Quoth has an interaction with Denna that causes him to become so confident, perhaps overconfident and feel 12 feet tall, feel invincible and take uh, risks that are potentially deadly, which is uh, the textbook definition of, of bipolar disorder and a hypomanic or romantic episode. So I'm not suggesting that Rothfuss is writing a character who has, you know, medically bipolar disorder, but this sort of thing, this sort of cause and effect is directly out of the bipolar playbook. And so I just think that's kind of interesting. That's what it reminds me of. I don't think that there's necessarily any juju happening, but that is, you know, the cause and effect of having a good talk with the girl you like, which then causes you to feel invincible and take a weird risk is very much a bipolar thing. Yeah, I think, thank you for that that information because I think that can inform how we read this moment, especially because like it doesn't, you know, he doesn't get hit with a bucket of ice water when he sees the guards. He's kind of still riding that confident high. And he's like, all right, let's go talk to the mayor and sort this out. You, you know, you dunces, like, what are you doing here? And it's only like a couple of pages later that he realizes that he may have badly misplayed his hand. But we'll have to wait to find out. Although this is, as Jordana was saying, yeah, it's very exciting. But this is like, this is the the climax of the act. Yes. All, all of the last few chapters have been building up to this. This is when we sort out the mystery of of the birds and when we sort of end the poisoning story arc. If this was an episode of a serialized TV show, this would be the end of, or maybe the cliffhanger when we go into the next week's episode where it gets concluded. But I think it would probably all be like, this is the one about the poisoning. Yeah, this is like the second last episode of the season. Yeah, or, you know, if... Like, I, I think there's an argument to be made that this book in particular is structured like a season of TV, less like a single book, but there's sort of episodes that are relatively self-contained that all bleed or feed into an overarching narrative throughout the whole book. And this would be one of those episodes. I think like, you know, if the whole thing is like a nine episode uh, hour long, uh, each episode is an hour long, then like him arriving at Severin is an episode and then him being in Severin and managing this, the poisoning plot is another episode. Yeah. I feel like this sequence, if this book was a season of TV, then this sequence would be like three or four episodes from him, like arriving in Severin to the resolution of what's been going on with the mayor's illness. I see sort of like the book as being the show and then like certain sections being the seasons. No, this is season this is season 2. I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but I don't think you could ring a whole season of TV out of what happens in in The Mayor's Court. No, I no. mean some seasons are only like 6 episodes. We're watching a show right now that is like a 6 episode season and the episodes are like half an hour each. Is it a British show? No. It's a Netflix show, right? Like th- this it is a Netflix show, but I don't think that is... Like- I would like to direct our listeners to May's Patreon episode where we really deep dive into this, but the realities of the way TV is made nowadays have very dire ramifications on storytelling and how storytelling needs to happen. So the shortening of seasons and the the densification of story arcs uh, is, you know, there's no time to let a story breathe. So I do think that this would need, this would be a single season or maybe it would be two seasons, but 
um, I think you'd have pretty dense episodes. I think you'd probably have the poisoning and, you know, they would introduce the poisoning an episode or two earlier, but the whole like poison plot would be a single one. Anyway, I guess what I'm saying is hire us to show run the King Killer show. Well, it sounds like we have very different ways we'd want to know what we're talking about. Wait, no, no, you're messing up what I'm saying about how short seasons could be beneficial here because you're saying, oh yeah, the one book, one season or two seasons. What I'm saying is that that one book is the show. There are many seasons within it. So a short season would be beneficial because you could have six episodes about Severin. Yeah, but you can't have a show that's just the wise man's fear. I don't think you should hire all of us to show run the show because we clearly have very different ideas about how it should be structured. <laughs> you know what you should do? You should hire us as like the guys that George R. R. Martin has who are like his advisors on the on the the history and all, all the facts, even though we don't know many of the facts and actually we're really bad the at that. The people who ran his like wiki? terrible at that job. Yeah, but I... <laughs> Yeah, and our, they're the co-writers yeah. on the World of Ice and Fire. But I I just want that job. I just want to have like a non-job that is just like, you know what I want? I want to have Pablo Hidalgo's job. I want to be the keeper of canon. I want to have the big book. Is he still the keeper of the Star Wars canon, actually? As far as I know. Yeah, I want to have that job. I want to keep the big book where I decide what stays in the universe and what doesn't and go on podcasts. That's, that's what I want my job to be. Truly uh, the ideal career path. Yeah, exactly. I mean, count me out. That that job sounds not at all like my cup of tea, but by all means, people hire Nick. <laughs> that's 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 the call to action we want you to take away from this episode. Hire Nick. Yeah. You can hire the rest of us. Yeah, I'll I'll hire the rest of you. It'll be a real nepotism. Uh it'll be a real nep when when I run the show, it'll be like the most nepotistic show you ever did see. Very insular, very few perspectives. <laughs> I don't. I only want yes men. I don't want to be challenged at any time. I only want to be surrounded by people who nod along and smile while I make terrible decisions that scuttle the show. So you really want to be George Lucas, not Pablo Hidalgo. Yeah, well, I'll fit right in at HBO. Heyo! Hey! And you can fit right in with the rest of us on tomorrow's page. Uh, uh, uh way. Way. Way.